You're listening to a message from Christian Life Ministries in Coventry, a dynamic, growing church in the heart of the nation. We pray that God will speak to you through this word and impact your life for His glory. So good to be here and to be back. We've been away for a couple of weeks and it's been great to have a break as a family. Uh, we got down to, to Devon in the southwest of the UK, saw the sea and had a bit of a break as a family, which was lovely, but it's always great to be back. We thank God for this church and uh, we don't want to be rude about anywhere we visited, but it's great to be home and uh, this is just a beautiful place. We thank God for a sense of his presence, of people that want to worship him, that are seeking to live out lives of faith and trust in the one who lives forever, in the power of an indestructible life. And so, uh, great to see you. And uh, if you're new here, if you're visiting us, maybe friends, family, or just over this Bank Holiday weekend, let me extend my welcome to you. Great to have you here among us. And uh, we pray you're able to feel at home here. Uh, also, as Esther said, our three children are away at Soul Survivor, so we're on a second honeymoon right now. And uh, I can't believe how much you can get done with no kids in your house. I'd like totally forgotten. So uh, it's been absolutely uh, beautiful. And uh, we'll cut this off the podcast, but it's absolutely great to have them away for a couple of days. And uh, <laughs> so, uh, but we'll look forward to their return, of course. And that is the joy of parenting. Well, uh, we're going to dive in today. The title of my message today is The Altar in Your Home. The Altar in Your Home. And I wonder if we can say that simple phrase together. The Altar in Your Home. The Altar in Your Home. If you've got a Bible, why don't you begin to make your way with me to the book of 1 Samuel in the Old Testament in chapter 7. The context as you make your way there is that Samuel himself, there's a book of 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, Samuel himself is the prophet in Israel. He's not just a prophet, he's the prophet. He's the man of God. He's God's anointed and he's the leader over the nation. He's the one that really stands between God and the people that brings God's word to the people. But uh, in the early chapters of the book of 1 Samuel, Israel has not been in a great place. And uh, notably in chapter 4, the Ark of the Covenant, which is the representation, the very presence of God himself, is captured by the Philistines. And the Ark of the Covenant gets taken off to the, the Philistine territory. And this is the, one of the darkest days in Israel's history. And God himself intervenes and, and breaks out all disaster over the Philistines where the ark is. And, and tumors are breaking out. And in the end, they said, we've got to get rid of this thing. And they, they put some cattle and they, they put the ark on a, on a cart. And they say, we're just going to let this thing go. And if, if the, the cows, if the, the cattle, if they, if they take this ark back to Israel, we will know that this was the God of Israel. And if they just wander off somewhere else, but of course it goes back to Israel, it returns. The ark returns and the fear of God comes back upon the people of God. And Israel returned to the Lord. And as they return, uh, Samuel has some stern words for them. But then the Lord delivers his people and a season of peace for a number of years comes upon the nation of Israel under Samuel's leadership. But what strikes me is at the end of chapter 7, and reading this recently, I felt the Lord really challenge me and speak to me. Uh, we turn to uh, 1 Samuel chapter 7, verses 15, 17. At the end of this chapter where Israel has returned to the Lord, and we find these words. It says, Samuel continued as Israel's leader all the days of his life. From year to year, he went on a circuit from Bethel to Gilgal to Mizpah, 
judging Israel in all those places. Let me understand what that means. That doesn't mean having a judgmental spirit. He was, he was the court system. He was the ruler. And he went on this circuit around the nation. And people brought their issues to him. And he brought the wisdom and the word of God into people's situations. This was the burden of what it was to be the prophet and to be the judge. And year after year, he went and did that, serving the nation in that way. But verse 17 says this, he always returned or went back to Ramah, where his home was. And there he also held court for Israel, and he built an altar there to the Lord. And he built an altar there to the Lord. And as I read that, it, it, you know, sometimes you, you talk about people, you know, people maybe talk about Scripture jumping out at them. Now, I've, you know, my, my Bible's never moved, but, but I, I read this verse, and I, I couldn't move on. It was... It was like the Lord was drawing my attention to this, and he built an altar there to the Lord. Samuel, who was serving the nation, he was traveling about his leadership, his work, his ministry, and yet when he went home, that was the place where he built an altar. He didn't build an altar in Bethel or Gilgal or Mizpah, as far as we see the place where he built an altar was Ramah, his home. And it says something, I think, to us about Samuel's desire to seek God and find God in his home, in the place that he went back to, that his public persona, as it were, was an outworking of his personal walk with God. And I felt challenged uh, as to whether I was building an altar in my home. And I want to speak to us today about the altar in our home and whether you have an altar in your home, what it means to have an altar in your home. I believe we all need an altar in the place of privacy, in the place where we live, in the place of home and families, that a place to find God, to meet God, to pursue God in private, that all the altar represents, and we'll unpack a little bit of what that means. I'm aware this could be mystical in, in our day and our age, and that's not my desire at all. But all that the altar represents is to be found in our inner world as a first priority. See, we can come to a gathering like this, come to church, and we can put our smiles on. We can raise our hands in worship, and I'm all for that. And I believe we should be a people who praise with passion that we come together. The Bible's, the Bible's clear about the importance of the corporate gathering. Hebrews tells us, let's not stop meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but all the more, let's encourage one another as we see the day approaching this, this mandate to gather together, and yet if there's no altar in my home, then I've misunderstood what, what God is seeking for me to be and who he's seeking to be to me. You see, Samuel was a man of God, but he built an altar in his home. You know, when there's an altar in our home, it, it means that when we come together as God's people, we are not here facilitating our weekly experience of worship so much as we are enjoying the corporate expression of private worshipers that, that gather together. If we are worshipers through the week, if there is an altar in our home, we are worshipers through the week. And then when we come together, we have the joy of worshiping with others. But it's not intended to be our weekly dip in, our weekly experience. But we need an altar in our home. You know, some churches, and I'm not, I'm, I'm not being disparaging about it, but they, they would call the front the altar. Come to the altar. Now, we, we don't use that expression here. I'm not criticizing those who do. Because actually the, the altar is within. 
I, I, I don't need to think that I need to come down the front of this building and have the opportunity to do that once a week. I need to understand I need an altar in my home, a place where I can come and encounter God on a daily basis, on a weekly basis. If there's an altar in our home, then when we have three days of prayer and fasting as we've got coming up, that is not our, our quarterly experience of prayer, but rather a culmination of a, a, a body of private prayers coming and standing together and the power of unity in those times. I think we need to understand a bit about the altar though. The altar was a place of connection between God and man. More than anything, this was what the altar facilitated. It facilitated the divine and the human coming together. The, the word in Hebrew for altar is mizbeah, which is from the same root as the word slaughter. So it's this idea that the altar includes sacrifice, but I need us to understand, although the altar was a place of the shedding of blood and of sacrifice, the sacrifice was never in and of itself what God wanted. What God really wanted was reconciliation of his people to himself through the shedding of blood. The sacrifice itself, the, the slaughter, the spilling of blood on an altar was only to enable his people to come near to him again. So the altar was a place where sacrifices were made, but it was a place of reconciliation. The altar was a place of relationship. The altar was a place of, of restoration, of, of interface, of encounter. When I encounter God, there is an altar there. If I build an altar in my home, I create in my home and in my life and in my inner world a place of encounter the altar is a place where the divine and the human are united. You know, I think it's also significant as we consider altar that, that if, we, if we were to turn to Exodus chapter 20 where the Ten Commandments are given to Moses, straight after the Ten Commandments are given, the Lord himself says something about altars. And he says this, and I think it will come up on the screen for you, verses 24, 25, make an altar of earth for me, and sacrifice on it your burnt offerings, your fellowship offerings, your sheep, your goats, your cattle. Wherever I cause my name to be honored, or another translation, wherever an altar is built, I will come to you and bless you. If you make an altar of stones for me, do not build it with dressed stones, for you will defile it if you use a tool on it. Now, I think what this shows us is, is God doesn't want to make it complicated to build an altar. Saying, I want you to, to build an altar that you can come to me, but just gather some earth. If you, if you are gathering stones, don't dress them or you might become in danger of worshiping the altar. Just anything that you can create a place of encounter for me. And I think what it, what it says to us is that it's not meant to be difficult to build an altar. You know, maybe you're new to faith and this is new language. You're trying to grapple with what does this mean, an Old Testament, New Testament. I get that. But the simplicity of the message today is this, that if the altar is a place of encounter, it's intended to be easy and for anybody. You don't need a wealth of experience. You don't need financial resource to build an altar. God says, come, just take some earth or, or, or stones, but don't dress them. Now, of course, if you read the, New, the Old Testament, you understand Old Testament theology, things move on from there and there's the tabernacle and the temple and there are specific altars that are created in the corporate place where people come. 
And there, there is mandate, and there is specification, and there is certain materials and dimensions. And we understand that it was one corporate place for the nation to gather, but the principle still existed that anybody could build an altar. And, and we might find ourselves gathering in, in a setting such as this, but anyone can build an altar. We can build an altar where we are. Of course, we're not in the Old Testament, we're in the New Testament. We come to the New Testament and we see Jesus, we sung about it today. There was, there was one that hung on the cross in my place, this Jesus, who offered himself and gave one sacrifice, the Bible says, once and for all, so there is no more need for the shedding of blood. So the, the day of the Old Testament altar is over. This is what Hebrews 10 says, uh, verse 11 Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. I think on the screen, but verse 12 to 14. But when this priest, can we say this priest? This priest, talking about Jesus. But when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he awaits for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. This is the power of Jesus' sacrifice. He has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. My friends, if, if you are a believer and a follower in Jesus, then you are being made holy, and by his sacrifice, he has made you perfect forever. This is what the Bible says. Wow, the power of the cross. So the day of the Old Testament altar is over. But hang on a minute, stay with me, if you will, because if you move on to 1 Peter chapter 2, this is what we read in verses 4 and 5. As you come to him, the living stone. Can we all say living stone? Jesus, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him. You also, like living stones. Well, why don't you turn to your neighbor and say, you're a living stone. You also, like living stones, being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. Why don't you turn to your neighbor and say, you're a holy priest. You say, I don't know whether we get this. You know, that let, let me understand. We believe passionately here in the priesthood of all believers. I don't, you know, Esther myself, we have the privilege of serving here in this season of our lives to try to bring some leadership before God to this congregation. But we are not the priests. We're all priests. Hello? You're a royal priesthood. This is what the Bible says. But let's not get trapped in a clergy laity I think, misunderstanding of what God has done. We have all been made priests. Male and female, Jew and Gentile, those who come to Jesus. I digress. Being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices. No longer physical, know this. No longer offering physical sacrifices, but although the day of the shedding of blood in the Old Testament altar has gone, the bringing of sacrifices has not gone. But they're no longer physical, they are now spiritual. And where I'm going with this is, the day of the Old Testament altar may be over, but the day of the altar is very much present. I need an altar in my life and I need an altar in my home. What was once physical has now become spiritual. What was once offered by a priest 
can now be offered by myself because I am the priest. What was once to be made of earth or made out of stones is now made in here because I am the stone. Hello? Because of the one who is the stone. Capital S. So something spiritual has taken place. You see, the altar has not been abolished. The altar has been transformed. And so within us, the now is the potential to continue in worship and engagement and encounter, which is everything God has always desired through the principle of the altar, but it's not physical, it's spiritual. Are you with me today? What it tells me is that I still need an altar. Notice that a stone only became an altar when it was consecrated as such or when a sacrifice was made. Before that, it was just a stone. It was just, it was a stone. It's like Jacob in in Genesis 28. He lies down and he encounters God and he calls the place Bethel. And the very stone that he put his head on, he turns into an altar. But, But the night before, it was a pillow, but now it's become an altar. But let me tell you, this stone remains a stone unless... It is a life consecrated to God, and then the stone becomes an altar. In my home, I can live as a living stone. This is what the Bible says I now am. I'm a living stone, but I'm only a stone. But when my life is consecrated, when I worship, when I outwork the principle of altar in my life, then this stone becomes an altar. It becomes a place where the divine and the human meet together. I hope I'm making sense here today. But we need to earth this, and we need to put some flesh on this and understand what it means practically day to day to have an altar in our home. Now, through my devotions this summer, I've been tracking through the book of Genesis, and it's loving reading about the life of Abraham. And one thing that has struck me as I've read through is Abraham was an altar builder. He was, he was like Samuel who went back to Ramah and established an altar there. But you see, Abraham was a nomad, so he didn't have a place to go back to. Every place where he went was his home. And from place to place, it kept saying, and he built an altar to the Lord there. And he built an altar to the Lord there. And as I've looked at it, I've seen that as Abraham built altars, we see some of the keys, some of the principles, I think, of what an altar can be and what an altar can be for and what it might mean for us to have an altar in our home. Firstly, the altar in your home means living with an attitude of praise. Living with an attitude of praise. When we live with an attitude of praise, when we express our praise to God, we establish an altar in that place where we are. In Genesis 12, we read of Abraham being told by God to leave his country and his people and his father's household to a land that God would show him. He ends up heading to Canaan, but Hebrews tells us he set off not knowing where he was going. And they make the journey, they set out. And in verse 7, it says, The Lord appeared to Abraham and said to him, having arrived safe and sound, the message tells us in verse 5 of chapter 12. In verse 7, it says, He appeared to Abraham and said, To your offspring I will give this land. And then it says, So he built an altar to the Lord there who had appeared to him. I think what this tells us is, what he's doing there, he's, he's establishing a place of praise. The Lord appeared to him. He had arrived safely. The Bible says, so he built an altar to the Lord there. My point is this, he wasn't atoning for sin. He wasn't interceding for Lot. He's responding to the goodness of God. That's why he built an altar. 
that the Lord spoke to him. They arrived safe and sound, and the Lord gave him a promise, and so he built an altar there. What, what was he doing? He's establishing a place of praise. And when I establish a place of praise in my life, I, I build an altar there. I want to encourage us to be those that build an altar in our home that in the private place, that Sunday is not the place we come and we lift up our hands and sing songs of worship, but our lives are expressions of praise to God. When we do that, we build an altar in that place. You might think, well, Abraham was supremely blessed. Let me tell you, Abraham became supremely blessed. But at this point in time, he is a stranger in a foreign land. He has very little with him. In fact, he says in the next verse, he pitched his tent. In the next chapter, it says he pitched his tents. But at the point where he builds his first altar to the Lord, he only has one tent. He's got his wife. He's got Lot. He's got a few people. He's got a few things. But he's a, a foreigner in a strange land. His life is at risk. His name is Abraham, which means exalted father. But his wife is barren and he has no children. There are many things that he doesn't have. The outpouring of God's blessing upon his life is yet to come. And yet he brings praise to God. He establishes an altar there. And I say that because sometimes we can be prone to look and focus on what we haven't got rather than giving thanks for what we have got. We can have a tendency, if you hear me, to, to look up rather than to look down. What I mean by that is, is my kids have come to me lots of times over the years and told me about people who, that they know who get more pocket money than they get. But they've never come to tell me about people who get less pocket money or no pocket money. Why? Because their eyes are on those who have more rather than those who have less. Maybe you, maybe you don't have a car and catch the bus and maybe you aspire to have a car. Everyone can remember being, being in that place. I can remember as a, a young guy on a January morning, as a worship leader in my church, standing at the bus stop that didn't come with my guitar and starting to walk up the hill and, and seeing elder after elder drive past in their car and not notice me. And, and slightly resenting, we have to deal with your own heart in that moment. And a desire to have a car. And then somebody gave me an old banger, and it was wonderful, and I was so grateful for it, for a bit. And then I wanted a slightly better car. And who knows that when you get a better car, you can, if you're not careful, want an even better car. Instead of giving thanks for strength and legs to walk up that hill. You know, if I have clothes on my back and running water, I'm among the richest people on earth. I may have sickness in my body, but a roof over my head, so I'll give thanks to God for the roof, and I'll pray for a restoration of my health. It's an attitude of praise is how we build an altar in our home. I can remember in my early 20s being frustrated one morning. I can't remember why I was. I just remember getting on a bus and... And, and out of a sense of frustration, just, I'm not having this. And, and, and I just, I'd, whether I'd heard a, a sermon about counting your blessings, I don't know. But I just remember starting to count my blessings. I didn't feel like it, but I just started to do it. And I remember saying, Lord, thank you. Lord, thank you for my parents. Thank you for a loving mom. Thank you for a gracious dad. Lord, thank you. Thank you for my church. Thank you for a place where I can come and receive teaching. Thank you for your life and your presence in that place. Thank you for some great people. Lord, thank you for the shoes that I, do you know what happened? It's a flow of praise 
started to come in my life. It was, and something of life welled up within me. That bus became an altar that day. I built an altar on that bus. The truth was that, that I spent the whole journey giving praise to God. And the bus stopped and I got off and I went to where I was going. I was still praising God. By the time I arrived, I hadn't finished because I was so blessed. Only a few moments before, I'd forgotten how blessed I was. In your home, will you carry an attitude of praise? I believe you will. You'll build an altar there. Secondly, the altar in your home means establishing a priority of prayer. Establishing a priority of prayer. The following verse in Genesis 12 uh, says this. From there, Abraham went down to the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. I believe the previous altar was an altar of praise because it was in response to the promise of God that had yet to come to pass. But he was giving thanks to God. But here the Bible says he built an altar and he called on the Lord there. It was an altar of prayer. I believe we build an altar in our home when we establish a priority of prayer there. I find it a beautiful thing that it says he pitched his tent between Bethel, which means the house of God, and Ai, which means the heap of ruins. We live there, don't we? we, we don't we pitch our tent between Bethel and Ai? Don't we live between the house of God and the heap of ruins? Don't we live between the place where God is perfect and God is able and the reality of the world that we live in? We live there, don't we? Those who know him, those who know the goodness, those that know what it is to come and encounter him, like Jacob did, that know what a Bethel is, but also live in the world that is a heap of ruins. And in our lives, we can, we can find a heap of ruins sometimes. We can find AI situations. We can find relational breakdown. We can, we can find mistreatment at work. We can find financial challenge, we can find the, the challenge of sickness. Uh, AI could be a number of things for us. And we live between the reality of who God is and the reality of our situation. But you know what? Abraham doesn't go to Bethel to complain about AI. He pitches his tent and he builds an altar. What I'm saying, friends, is that we know that God is perfect and that we know that God is able and yet we live in a place with challenges. The, the call on us is to be those that build an altar there and use it to call upon the Lord. Hello? I hope I'm making sense to you today. I believe we're going to have an altar in our home. We not only need to be those who have an attitude of praise, but also establish a priority of prayer that we learn to call upon the Lord. You know, I thank God for our prayer ministry team. You know, I I think you've got to be mad to come here and, and carry an issue and not say, would someone come and pray with me? I believe in the power of agreement. But I also believe in personal prayer. I believe in the priority of my own prayer, the need for me to be a prayer, the need for you to be a prayer. So often we can be prone to complain about situations instead of praying them, where prayer can become a, a last resort rather than a first thought. Where someone says, have you prayed about it? And you kind of go, oh yeah, I didn't think about that. Wow, what? Why not? We need to build an altar and establish a priority of prayer in a place between the goodness of God and the reality of our situation. If there's strife in your marriage, you need an altar of prayer in your home. If you're battling with, with a child, you need to build an altar of prayer in your home. If, 
If you're being treated unfairly at work, you, you need an altar of prayer in your home. Sometimes people will come and say, will you pray for me, pastor? And I'm, I'm always happy to pray for people. But sometimes I say, have you prayed for yourself? I'm happy to pray, but please don't think I'm the magic man. You are a priest. Have you prayed for yourself? Have you built an altar in your own home to pray about this? Because if you have, I'll agree with you, and I'll add my amen to your prayer. But you need to learn to build an altar in your own home to bring it to the Lord because God wants you to call on him and in that place encounter that you might see his deliverance and see the goodness of God in the land of the living because he's not looking for you to become dependent upon a person but dependent upon him. So we establish a priority of prayer and we build an altar in that place. Thirdly, we built an altar in our home by finding a, a source of peace. In the following chapter, Abraham traveling about with Sarai and his nephew Lot, and the Lord starts to bless them, and they increase and they expand. And the Bible says that, that the land was too small to support them both. Abram and Lot had become so great, they couldn't be sustained in the same place. And the herdsmen of Lot and the herdsmen of Abram began quarreling with one another. And Abram, in the midst of that conflict, he calls Lot, and he says, this, this isn't going to work out for us. We, we've, come, we've come all the way from Haran together, but the land can no longer support us. We're going to have to go our separate ways. And in his grace to Lot, he's tagged along with him. He says, you choose, you get first pick. Where do you want to go? And Lot surveys the land and finds the best land for himself and says, I'll go here. And Abraham goes to another place. You know, the favor of God is on Abraham, and the Lord expands Abraham more than Lot in that place. But the Bible says when he got there, he built an altar to the Lord. This is what chapter 13, uh, verse 18 says. So Abraham went to live near the great two trees of Mamre at Hebron, where he pitched his tents, and there he built an altar to the Lord. And what happened there was a place of peace. I think here where he might have been calling on the Lord between Bethel and Ai, where he might have been giving thanks and praise in the place where the Lord first spoke to him. I think he comes and he establishes an altar to find the peace and presence of the Lord. Maybe I'm reading too much here, maybe I'm stretching it, but there's something of a season of peace comes and he builds an altar there. He doesn't come to wrestle. He comes to encounter God. I think something in our worship, we establish a life of worship and we find a place of peace when we come to God. There is an altar in our home where the Lord wants us to experience his peace, wants us to know that he is with us. You know, I've never come before the Lord and prayed into a situation and felt more agitated about a person than before I prayed. You know, sometimes we can get frustrated with people. We can feel carnal. We can sometimes feel anger rising up. But when we come to the Lord, we find perspective and peace can come and be a part of our world. I think this is, this is captured for us in Philippians 4, verses 6 to 7, where it says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. That sounds like an altar to me. And the peace of God, can we all say peace of God? And 
You do that. You build an altar by prayer and petition and thanksgiving. Present your request to God in all things, the Bible says. Having just said, rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. Sounds like altar building to me. And he says, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and your minds in Christ Jesus. And he said to you, if you find yourself getting angry and frustrated, it's time to build an altar in your home. I'm not saying that everything will dissipate, but as we come to him, as we worship him, as we learn to pray, as we give thanks, as we are those that have an altar in the private place, we'll find that the peace of God that transcends all understanding will guard our hearts and our minds. I believe here, after a season of dispute and quarreling, Abraham builds an altar and finds the peace of God. But the fourth and final thing that we see in Abraham's life, the altar in your home means enabling provision through surrender, enabling provision through surrender. You see, all these altars really are an expression of choosing God's will over my own. The reason I come today and and encourage us to build an altar in our home, and maybe we have done, but maybe we need to do more so. Maybe we need to dust it down. Maybe we need to reappoint its priority. Maybe as for some of us, we come into September, September comes into view, and, and I know this isn't true for everyone, but for many of us, it's almost like a, a new start to a new year. It's time to establish an altar again, and the altar is choosing his ways over my ways, choosing to praise when maybe I don't feel like it, choosing to pray over things instead of complaining about them, choosing to access his peace through worship and proximity, but also finding his provision through surrender. This is probably Abraham's most famous altar, the one he built on Moriah, the one that we see in Genesis 22. This is what the Bible says, verse two. Then God said to Abraham, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain that I will show you. Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Father, verse seven, Yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place that God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand, took the knife to slay his son, but the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Here I am, he replied. Do not lay your hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you've not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its thorns. He went over and he took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. And so Abraham called that place the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. My friends, as Abraham built an altar of sacrifice, he found the Lord's provision. And I believe that when we built an altar in our home, it means in the private place we're coming and say, Lord, it's all yours. We're willing to surrender. And in that place of surrender, which is really the essence, the place of surrender and sacrifice, which is the essence of altar, we find the provision of the Lord comes. If you, I, I Strip down a few verses out for the sake of time. But in that story, they set off on the journey to Moriah with some servants. But it says, when Abraham saw in the distance the place, he said to his servants, now you wait here and I will go alone with Isaac. Because the, the place 
the altar of sacrifice has to be made alone. It can't be made in the corporate place. But is there an altar in my home that says, Lord, you can be Lord. I have to come to that place in private. Samuel in Ramah came and built an altar in his home. And I have no doubt, as you read through the life of Samuel, a sacrificed life, that as he came back to the altar, he committed his life afresh to God. Every time he went off on a circuit journey, the Bible doesn't tell us, but you read of his conduct and how he is. And at the end of his day, where he says, if I have wronged anybody, tell me. And they all say, never, you've not done anything wrong before us, Samuel. I can't believe he didn't set off on a circuit without re-surrendering his life and saying, Lord, I need you. I need your wisdom. I can't do this without you. And then the Lord provides. The Lord gives him what he needs. For Abraham, he builds an altar where he puts the most precious thing on it. And then the Lord provides. You know, the truth is, we have to build an altar of sacrifice before we see the Lord's provision. Nearly always is how it works. We want the Lord to provide without the altar of sacrifice. But the Lord says, put it on the altar and then see me provide. In my life, I've learned the principle of this. I I would never have called it altar building, but I've come to see that it is. The time as a a young man, when I, I lay on my face before God and I said, whatever, wherever, Lord, whatever you want to do, my future is in your hands. Whatever you want me to do, I can remember at university, Studying law as a degree, there are only two of us in a year of 200 who weren't going on to be lawyers. And I sat with one of my tutors and he said, what are you going to do? You're not going to law school, you're not going to bar school. I said, by the grace of God, I'm going to be a pastor. And he said, you're an idiot. And he started to rant on to me about he'd grown up in a certain branch of the church and he got certain resentment, all this bitterness started coming out of his life, out of his heart. And I had to say, Lord, I I believe you're leading me in this place, but I have no idea how this can happen. But then the Lord provided. I remember learning to trust God in tithes and offerings, bringing my finance onto the altar of sacrifice and seeing the abundance of God, the provision of God. You know, the last thing I surrendered in my life was who my wife was gonna be. I said to the Lord, Lord, you can have everything, but I want right to veto over that one. I don't want you stitching me up with somebody that I don't like. And I can remember talking to my pastor. He said, you've got such a warped view of God. This is your father. Don't you think he knows who you need more than you know? And I went, ah, that's a good point. I remember surrendering. I said, okay, Lord, you can even choose my wife. And then I met Esther and married up. Because on the altar of sacrifice, the Lord provides. Some of you remember the crazy story a couple of years ago where, where the Lord provided an amazing holiday for us as a family. We ended up going to Florida. Some of you, some of you might not have heard the story, but, but we had our first vision offering. And I remember the Lord speaking to us about pledging a, a five-figure psalm, and it was beyond our ability. And we were, oh God, we wrestled, but we said, Lord, we know you've spoken. And we wrote out this pledge, and we sat at our table with our kids And we said, we have learned to trust God. And we know that in the fullness of time, you cannot outgive God. And he is no man's debtor. In the fullness of time, all will be well. But you need to understand next summer, we might not have a summer holiday. Because we're stripping our budget right back. And even then, we don't know how this can work. And and the, the kids are like, well, whatever. What could they say? 
And I can remember getting to March of, that was October. And then in March, uh, traveling in early to church on Sunday morning, and Mark Beswick bizarrely saying to me, Mine, if money was no object, what would you do? And I said, Mark, don't be stupid. And he said, no, no, I'm asking you, if money was no object, and I know Mark's an itinerant worship leader. He wasn't going to bring out a checkbook and make it happen. And I, and I, and I said, I never think like that. It's unhelpful. And he said, no, he looked at me. He said, no, I'm asking you. And it was odd, but I stopped and I thought, and the words that came out of my mouth, because we had a sabbatical that summer. We had two months off. We had no money. We were camping in the back garden. I said, you know what? I'd love to take my family on a great summer holiday this year. And he said, oh, interesting. And there we are, and we moved on. But that week, I just couldn't shake off a sense that God was doing something. Within a couple of weeks, we got a check in the post from a family we hadn't engaged with for over two years, randomly sent to us for 500 pounds, and it said, this is towards your summer holiday. And we said, Lord, I I think you might be up to something. And then the heavens opened, and we were given over 2,000 pounds. Like they, numbers of different gifts. It was just bizarre. We became money magnets. And we were just carrying on with our faith pledge, faithfully giving. But we said, if something new comes in now, we're going to save it for summer holiday because we think you're doing something, Lord. And we were going to book something in, in Europe. And Esther had this sense, it's not Europe. And later that day, I met with a guy that I didn't even know very well. And at the end of our meeting, he said, what are you doing this summer? I said, oh, I don't know, he's a Christian. And I said, I, I don't know. I said, it's been amazing. We've literally had no money. And now we've got 2,000 pounds. And, and he said, well, do you know what? He said, I've got a house in Florida. And he said, I think it's vacant for two weeks in August. And, and he said, let me check online. And so he checked online. He said, yes, yeah, it's vacant. He said, if you want it, you can have that as a gift. I said, wow, that's, that's incredible. I said, Look, I don't want to be ungrateful, but I don't know if we can get there. And I, I, and I Googled the cheapest possible flights in August to Florida. They're like seven, 800 quid. I said to Esther, what are we going to do? I don't know what we're going to do. And we talked to the kids. We said, Look, let's talk to the kids because they might say, you know, I, oh, I don't want to go to Florida. It's a long way. And, and they were like, yes, we're going to Florida. We're going to Florida. We're like, no, we're not going to Florida. We're going to pray right now. Two of us are going to Florida. And about a week later, we sat down over lunch and, and we said, Lord, I don't know what to do. We said, Lord, we, we've had faith to step on this pledge and give. We have to have faith to receive because we know you're doing something. We said, Lord, if, if you can get us flies for two and a half thousand pounds, if we've got no other money and can't rent a car, we're, we're just going to go and step into it. And we prayed together. We're still at the table and my phone rings and it's the guy whose house it is, who owns the house in Florida. He said, Martin, I'm in Florida. I've got some time on my hands, which he's a really busy guy. Never does. He said, I'm looking at flights for you for the dates and I've found some crazy flights, but we need to book them right now. They're 400 quid each. And he said, I'll book them on my credit card. I just need a yes from you. And he said, oh, there's one thing you need to know. You're going to fly into Miami and you're going to have to travel across, but then you're going to have to spend one night in Orlando. I, was, I, I don't know what that means. Just do it. We just literally prayed about it, so do it. I remember then I was in Singapore the month later and I, uh, and I was talking to Pastor Dom. And I'm telling him this story as it is. And I said, it's amazing, Lord, what God's done. And he says, oh, I know the general manager of the Hilton Hotel in Orlando, Florida. And he turns to his PA, he says, get, get Roy Schmidt on the line. You need to sort these guys out, a hotel in Orlando and their transfers. And do you know what? It went on like that. And the Lord provided for us miraculously. But I want to tell you that it was, 
It was on the altar of surrender nine months earlier. We made an altar in our home where we said, Lord, we're, we're not going to try and, and just budget. We're going to try and trust you. We're going to do what you're saying to us, whatever that means. I can remember when we told the story when we came back that summer. Somebody came up to me at the end of that morning and said, will you pray for me because I want to go to Florida? I was, like, I was like, have you been listening to this story? It's not a story about Florida. It's a story about an altar. God bless the people of God. <laughs> but as we come into land, I wonder if the band would come and join me. I want to ask you, is there an altar in your home? Is there a place of praise? Is there an attitude of praise and thanksgiving? Is there a place of prayer? The things around your life, are you just hoping someone else is going to pray? Or have you decided to kneel down in the private place and bring them to God? Maybe you've been doing that for months and years and decades, but carry on to have an altar that is a place of prayer. Are you finding an altar that's a place of peace around your life? Where you're coming to God, maybe there's strife and agitation, but in that place of worship, you can find the peace of God right in the middle of the storm. And is your life, in your home, is there an altar of surrender that say, Lord, it's all yours. My future's yours. My relationships are yours. My finance is yours. It's all yours, Lord. Because when you do that, you build an altar in your home and you make room for the provision of God. We don't do it to get, but we find that when we surrender in obedience to the Lord, we find He has a habit of being who He is. The one who sees and the one who sees to us. The revelation that Abraham found. And as we come to this song and we conclude, this is my desire to honor you, Lord. I, I give you my heart. I'm gonna invite you to respond. And many of us in this place, we maybe need to respond. And as we respond, we're saying, Lord, let my life be an altar. Let there be an altar in my home. Maybe we need to reprioritize in this season and say, I've neglected. I've neglected the inner part of my life. I've I found coming to Sunday, my one point of spiritual engagement, I actually, you intended me to have an altar in my home. And I'm sorry, Lord, I want to put it right. Maybe you just know you need to step up in some areas as we come into a fresh season. And, and if that's you, uh, as we all stand and begin to sing, I'm going to invite you, if you're responding, to kneel down. If you're physically able, you might want to come down the front and do that. You might want to push into the aisles or where you are to come and say, Lord, let there be an altar in my home. Let there be an altar in my life. Just come and let's use this song as a response as we sing together. Can we stand together? And then if you know you need to make a response, either step out of your seat and come and kneel at the front or just kneel where you are. Say, Lord, let my life be an altar. Lord, we pray.